welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple, the Way of Light. Uh, I've worked at the temple for, I think, about the past decade now, um, and I can really attest to the quality of the work they do. Uh, They work predominantly with the plant medicine, ayahuasca, working in the Shipibo lineage, and um, uh, they offer 12-day retreats where there are six different ceremonies, um, working with groups of uh, about 23 people, um, and within those six ceremonies, there's a, a group of four different Shipibo doctors or healers, there's two to three facilitators, which are kind of like the bridges between the Shipibo doctors and the guests that come down. There's a a yoga teacher, bone and massage doctors, uh, herbalists, uh, and really just an amazing support staff to really create an environment that's uh, really conducive to allowing the guests to go really deeply into this work and to experience all of the, the learning, the teaching, the healing that these plants have to offer. Um, so if you're interested in working with uh, ayahuasca, working with Shipibo, working in a center that really uh, creates a, an amazing space, uh, I, I can really, again, attest to the work that the temple does. Um, I've, I've seen just really amazing work and amazing transformations in people. So to learn more about that, you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. <clears throat> And then uh, my friend and colleague, Marav Artsy, who I interviewed, I believe, in episode 28, are continuing to run uh, plant dietas or plant diets here in the Sacred Valley of Peru. Uh, the next one will be in the month of September. Um, and that's a really amazing opportunity to go deeper into this world of plants, uh, to work with two different people, a man and a woman working in the lineage we've been trained in, and again, really beginning to experience the the learning, the teaching, the the healing, and the ordering of uh, a lot of these different plants, um, different trees, tobacco, in which we work with. Um, so if you'd like more information on that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and also Murav's site at tobaccodiets.com. Um, I believe we're also going to be going to the States soon, to the U.S. and New York. Um, there may still be a couple slots open for that. Um, you can find out more information about that also on my website. Uh, and then potentially uh, in October, uh, we're also going to be in Egypt, uh, in the Sinai Desert. So um, probably in the next few days or by the time this podcast is released, uh, there'll be more information out about that. Uh, so I think that's it. Um My guest today is my friend Juliana. Uh, I actually met Juliana working at uh, the Temple of the Way of Light. She originally came down as a yoga and meditation teacher. Um, She's been facilitating ceremonies. And uh, so it was really a pleasure for me to sit down with her. Um, I had her over. We, We chatted and Uh, really also for me to get to know a little bit more about her story, which is always fascinating for me. And um, she's just, she's a really beautiful woman. She has a a really beautiful quality about her. Um, We talked about her life, about yoga, meditation, her experience in the Santo Daimi Church, which is one of the big ayahuasca churches in Brazil, 
Temple, her time at the Temple, working with Spibo, um, and kind of just bridging all of these things together. So uh, it was a really interesting conversation, and uh, I, I think and I hope you guys will all get a lot out of it. So uh, I think that's it. As always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Um, Patreon is a really good option. It's a subscription service, and it's kind of working on this uh, very Andean idea of Aini, reciprocity. So if you feel like you're gaining something from these podcasts, that's a really beautiful way to give back. Um, and with that giving back, there's also uh, benefits, things like early access to shows, Q&As, uh, bonus material. Um, to all the people who have supported through Patreon, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate all the support. Um, and if you're able to do that or wanting to do that, I'll put a link also to that in the show notes. Um, there's also the ability to directly donate via PayPal. Also put a link to that in the show notes. And then if you're not able to do that, simply going on the YouTube channel, subscribing to the show, um, turning on the notification bell, liking the video may seem like a small thing, but that really helps with the algorithms to get the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, also subscribing to the show um, and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's also really beneficial for the audio version. So... Hopefully that is it, everything now, and um, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and without further ado, here is my conversation with Juliana. I'm running out from the maze, running out from the maze, running out of the maze today. Running out from the maze, running out from the maze. Running out from the maze today. I'm running out from the maze. Running out from the maze. Running out of the maze today. Yeah, well, welcome. Um, I met you, like many many of the guests on this show, at the uh, the Amazonian Plant Healing Center at the Temple of the Way of Light. I don't remember when the first time was. I mean, it, it's probably been five years or something now. Um, yeah, it was in 2016. Wow. Yeah, that's when I started. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mid of 2016, yeah. Yeah, it's about five years. Yeah. First, I want to say thank you for the invite. I'm very, very <laughs> help, help, happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I met you, I think you were you were coming down as, a, I guess, a yoga and meditation teacher. Was that right? Yes. Uh, Publio, a friend of mine, uh, also from Brazil, was working there. He was, like, full-time, and then he decided to, to leave, and they needed another... Um, yoga teacher and then he recommended me and then I was in touch with Diana and mm -hmm. Debs mm -hmm. and that's how I started as yoga and meditation teacher yeah okay Publio was on one of the previous shows okay yeah. Diana's coming on a new one ah, cool. <laughs> and Debbie at some point uh, yeah. nice um, good <laughs> so yeah so maybe to start um Maybe just a bit about your background. I mean, I, I know a little bit about, obviously, you're from Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, but what kind of what that was like, uh, who, who you were growing up, and then what, what eventually led you to become interested in things like yoga and meditation and, and eventually plant medicine? 
Mm-hmm. was actually the other way around. I started with plant medicine. That oh, was my okay. first spiritual experience. And then mm-hmm. yoga and meditation came after. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was just reading a Brazilian poet yesterday, and he says that I am from where I was born, and I am from other places. <laughs> <laughs> and that really resonated with me because, yes, I am from Brazil, but I am from other places. And... Um, so I grew up in a very small town in the countryside in Sao Paulo, very tiny, 20,000 people. And then I moved to Sao Paulo, to the big city, <laughs> when I was 17, to start university. And that was like a big shock <laughs> because, it was, of course, everything was very different. I was very naive and um, I would just sit on the bus and start talking to people <laughs> because, like, that's what you do in the countryside. And so, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. And that's just after I moved to Sao Paulo, I was around 18, maybe. I had a, a friend who invited me to go to ayahuasca ceremony in the Santo Daime tradition. And now I see that he really loved me <laughs> for bringing me to this path. So I'm very grateful to Mauro. Uh, so yeah, and, and then I had this first experience, which was very, very interesting, um, because as we know, involved with medicine was like the first time that there was no sense of separation. So there was a really nice sense of, I was a child, I was the tree, I was an old person, and my heart could just accept all of that and had space for all of that. So it was very, very beautiful experience and something that I was actually looking for because I knew there was something more than like what I experienced living in the countryside and moving into this big city. So I think I needed that support <laughs> to make sense of things. So, yeah, and... And I studied tourism in university, <laughs> which was great because it was nothing very serious. <laughs> so I could just leave the country as soon as I finished. So I moved to London straight after I finished my graduation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to learn this language, English. <laughs> and my idea was just to stay for a year, study some English, but then I started volunteering in a hostel for the homeless people, for homeless people and also refugees from war-torn countries. They'll come to this hostel. And I just love the job. I really, really love the job. And then after I finished my one year of volunteering, they invited me to, to stay. And then they hired me. And then I stayed there for five years, working in the same place. Um... Yeah, and it was amazing for me because it was the first time that I actually experienced having time and money at the same time. <laughs> because like in Brazil, things are like, I had to study the whole day, work at night. So it was a very busy, busy life. And then in London, like I start uh, opening to other things. That's where I started doing yoga. Um, I started in a beautiful um, Shivananda studio, so it was like all Indian, decorated. <laughs> we could help cooking dinner before and eat together after, so it was very, 
very special. And then that culture just started just like getting to me, like really, oh my God, I have to go to India. <laughs> so that was really, uh, it felt very natural to me, actually. Like when I started doing yoga, it was like as if I had done yoga my whole life. There was nothing like really, oh, what is this? <laughs> it was really very natural. And I like to say the yoga actually found me because the way I ended up in that studio, was, I don't even remember, it was just like, I just got there and then I, as soon as I noticed I was doing yoga and then I never stopped. So, yeah. Um, and then I stayed in London for all these years, for five years, and then I, I moved to India to do some traveling for a year, travel around Southeast Asia for six months and then stayed in India for six months as well. Um, yeah, and traveling for me, it's, uh, it's really, really uh, expanding. I think I need that. I need the movement. I have Sagittarius in my rising. <laughs> so movement and getting to know different ways of living your life, different ways of making sense of the world. That really expands... Um, yeah, just my heart and <laughs> and mind as well. So yeah. Um, and then, do you want me to like just keep yeah, going? Keep, keep okay. Going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I stayed there for a year. Met many interesting people. Made many friends that I'm still in touch with. Uh, and then I decided that I needed to go back to Brazil. I was like. This culture is amazing, but I need to know my culture. I noticed that I didn't really know much of my culture because Sao Paulo doesn't have like a very strong culture in a sense of um, traditional culture. It's a little bit more cosmopolitan. And then I wanted to live in the northeast of Brazil where there's a very vibrant and traditional culture, beautiful music, lots of different kinds of... Um, rhythms and folk dances so I moved to the northeast when I went back to Brazil to live in Recife Pernambuco <laughs> I think you know mm. um, and I went there actually because of maracatu which is a beautiful rhythm of uh, drums that actually samba comes from maracatu so it's a very mm. beautiful rhythm and I went there for that. I said, I want to learn about maracatu. I want to play. I want to dance. So that's what drew me to, of course, the whole culture, but especially maracatu. And then I got there. And then I needed a job. So I started looking for a job. <laughs> and then people would ask me, oh, you have a different accent. So where are you from? I'm from Sao Paulo. What are you doing here? Do you have any family? No, I don't have any family. I came for the maracatu. I want to learn maracatu. And in the northeast of Brazil, people find that very alien. Like, how do you come to a place that you have no family <laughs> and you want to learn maracatu? So I never got a job because people thought I was a little bit crazy, <laughs> that I was not going to stay there or whatever they thought. But like after three months, I was like, my God, I speak English. It should be very easy for me to find a job. And I was very having a hard time. And then I talked to my roommate at the time, and she's from there. And she said, no, you cannot say that. <laughs> you have to say you have family here, or you have to create a whole story, otherwise you'll never get a job. 
And then, and then I had an auntie there. I invented like this whole story of an auntie <laughs> and like um, that I came to help take care of her. So I had this whole story. And then the first interview, I got a job <laughs> because I had an auntie. So, yeah, that was, so I stayed there for a year and a half um, and learned about maracatu and I wanted to be on the carnival on the streets playing the abe that they call which is that cabasa with the beads so it was a very special time like really uh was very interesting to to leave this very vibrant culture that is that is also like part of me in a way and uh was a time of like just getting in touch with more, um, uh, how do I say, not proud, but like more comfortable in being Brazilian and really getting to know more my, um, the rhythms, I think the drums, like really the drums was really powerful to help like expand more my heart as well and feel the beat so it was really like when I was on the streets just listening to those drums and just <laughs> that was something very powerful to me so I stayed there for a year and a half and then I decided to leave because it was like very vibrant so it was like partying every night <laughs> every night there was something going on with dance and music so I was like okay <laughs> And then I was wanting to get more involved with yoga, and yoga is not very strong there. So I decided to leave after some time to pursue um, more yoga studies. And I had a boyfriend living in New Zealand, so he invited me to come to New Zealand. So I moved to New Zealand uh, to be with him. So I was there maybe for a year. And yeah, but we were together just for a little bit. We, it didn't really work out, but we are, yeah, he's, he's one of my best friends now. So I stayed there for a year. And then after that, I went back to Brazil <laughs> to be with my parents because there was another calling. Okay, so now that you have done some healing, that you've been away from your family for a long time, that I needed to be away. <laughs> And then I said, maybe that's time for you to go back and see what you have learned, how you can heal the relationship with my parents. And so I went back to be with them for, for some time with this idea of um, just looking at them in a different way and trying to build a different relationship. And it was actually very good. In the beginning, it was very hard. I thought I hadn't learned anything. <laughs> it was like, okay. But then, like, as I committed to that, I stayed for longer, and then um, it was good. It was good to see. Um, I was actually noticing that most of the triggers that I had around my family were still there, but I could relate to the triggers in a different way, so I started getting awareness around that. And that created a lot of space, and um, and it felt good to be there, to be caring for them, and being in a mom's environment. There's something that just a mom's environment gives to you. <laughs> so it was good to be there for some time, and 
uh, feel that in a more relaxed way uh, without any expectations. And so, yeah, so I stayed with them for maybe a year. And then my sister who lives in California had a baby <laughs> and she was like, I need help. Do you want to come? And it was very interesting because I had just done a workshop in Sao Paulo of a yoga teacher from California, and I loved her. I said, my God, I want to study with this woman. I want to do a teacher training with her. She's, her name is Katya Nanda. She's, she's really cool. And, and then she invited me just like a week after I did the workshop. And I was like, yes, I'm coming <laughs> because I want to do my yoga training uh, in San Francisco with this teacher. And my sister lived 40 minutes from San Francisco. So then I moved there to care for my beloved niece, Deirdre, <laughs> uh, who I am her godmother as well. So, yeah. And then I stayed there for a couple of years, did my training, which lasted for a couple of years as well. And... Um, and I like to say I don't, I'm not a mother, I don't have a child of my own, but I feel <laughs> that I've been a mother as well because uh, she was only like four months when I got there and my sister was out most of the time. So I was the one who was caring for her for a couple of years. So I, uh, I feel that I had this experience of being a mom. <laughs> and I, also, I was also present to my other sister's um, birth. So I actually helped her deliver her baby. So I was there. <laughs> so I, I had that uh, maybe um, sorted in my life, <laughs> being a mom. Yeah, and then uh, the training was awesome. Um, and Katya Nanda, my, my yoga teacher, um, she, something that I really, really liked about her is that she was very honest and vulnerable about her experience as a woman, as a teacher. She would talk about, like, um, of moments that she felt she was um, petty or jealous, and she'd just bring that into the class. And for me, that was like so liberating because my experience with teachers was always I'm together <laughs> I'm perfect I actually do everything that I say <laughs> and like just to be able to have a teacher that sometimes you say I would ask her a question and if she didn't really know uh, or if it wasn't really her interest, she'll just say, um, sorry, but I, I don't really know. I cannot really give you an answer for that. Or, yeah, it was just really liberating to to have the permission as well to do that and be able to not be someone else, but actually be first a practitioner and a person and share my teachings from that place. So... That was one of the biggest learning I got from her. And, and also around projection, because I would just come to her and just like give all these um, compliments, what I see in her. And, and then she would just take that in. Thank you very much. But you have to own that in yourself. She would just always bring that back to me. Because if you see that in myself, she would say, you have that. So you have to take ownership of your own um, 
beauty. So that was also very interesting because I had this tendency a lot of projecting <laughs> and not really honoring what I have. So she was a, a huge reference for me, like for my teaching, it still is. Uh, so I'm very grateful to Kachi. <laughs> um, yeah, so after this couple of years, what happened? Yeah, and then I decided that I want to settle down. And I said, I wanted to settle down in Brazil. I want to go back. But I'm like, how to go back to Brazil? I have no idea. <laughs> like, be thrown to the marketplace, having, like, to do things, pay rent. And I was, like, be overwhelmed with the idea. And then um, I had a... When I was already, I actually went back because I met a guy from Rio in a yoga class in San Francisco and we started having a relationship long distance. And then we decided, okay, let's, um, let's be together. So I went back with also with this intention of being with him, but also because I want to go back to Brazil. But it didn't work. We were together just for a couple of months and then. I and then I was like, oh my god, do I stay here? Do I keep traveling, find somewhere else? And then I had a dream one of one night of uh, a community that I had been a few years before that I really loved, but it was kind of not in my mind anymore. And then it came into my dream that I was there. Uh, I was in a veggie garden. It was like a very clear dream. And then I contact them the next morning saying, I want to leave with you guys. How do I do that? And they said, oh, wow, we have, because you have to do a three-month course, like an immersion there to get to know the principles, to get to know the, the place, to be able to live there. And they're going to start that course a week later. So they said, yeah, you can come. And then I went, I moved to do this three-month course. And... And it was amazing. Like that place was like, <laughs> I think it's one of the most sacred places that I've been. Like I really, really love that place. And um, just not have, like it's a, it's a community that doesn't really have an honor or it doesn't have a leader. So there is no, there's not a lineage that we follow. There are no dogmas, no teachings. We have what we call principles that everybody that goes there lives by those principles like mindfulness, uh, meditation, loving kindness, simplicity, um, something that they call ceremonial order, which is like before you eat, you say thank you, you close your eyes, you connect to the food. So you have some, some things that keeps you in the present. So that's how we, we live together by these principles, like nonviolent communication. And yeah, and it's, it's, it's just an amazing experience because you're in community and you have all the struggles, <laughs> the challenge that comes with community. And you have the support of what is practice there because it's a very practical kind of living we have some classes, but it's basically like we, we go to the veggie garden, we grow food, we, we grow our own food, so we make our own bread. We, um, so we do everything there. We, we teach each other yoga if that's your skill. So we bring our skills and share with the people that live there, the people that come 
to spend the weekend or the week. So, and I had just finished my training and that was the place where I actually was able to find my voice as a teacher because that's where I started teaching full time. And... And I like to say that the feeling that I have, there is the same feeling that I have at the temple that I don't teach by myself. There's like a whole group <laughs> teaching with me. So it's very easy to teach in those places like the temple and Uniluz, that, that community where I used to live. Um, I remember the first time that I taught outside that place that I felt so alone. I was like, oh my God, where is everybody else? <laughs> So it was nice to notice that the difference. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and I remember when I started teaching, I would get so, like, so nervous. I would just, like, be in the toilet for half an hour. <laughs> because there was... Um, teaching has been a big healing for me because that's one of my main uh, trauma traumas and hurts from childhood. Because I was told by my father most of the time to shut up. So that was something like that I had to really get in relationship with, that I, I could trust that people want to listen to me, that I, I had something to share. Um, and get in relationship with that voice of shut up. <laughs> so it was very healing to be able to do that in a space that was very sacred and very supportive. And people come there very open to receive the teachings, to receive um, the atmosphere of the place. And so, yeah, and I'm still connected to, to, with the, um, connected to that community. I was there last year and I spent three months with another group that came to do the immersion that I did in 2012. So I was one of their teachers there. So now I'm on the other <laughs> on the other side, which is which is great, just to be able to uh, to teach yoga and meditation. Also coming from that place of knowing what it is, the experience there, and how to relate the teachings to the experience of living in community, of being isolated somehow. So, yeah. It's isolated in a way because you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, but at the same time you have people coming from all over Brazil, also from different countries. So in a way you find yourself always in the world because people bring different things and uh, yes. And that's where I met Publio, actually. We lived together there. He came in a group after mine, so we didn't really do the immersion together, but I was a resident. I stayed there for a year, and then he came while I was doing my residency there. So, yeah, special times. <laughs> um, and then I left the residency after a year, but I didn't want to leave the community, so I rented a house on the outskirts of the community. So I had more freedom because when you are in there, you're at service, like you're at service of the place, of the people that come, of the people who live there. So it's very intense. And I was kind of feeling, okay, I think now I wanna also develop my own work outside of here, but also still be here. So I, I moved out and I could bridge like being there and also start teaching in Sao Paulo and 
offering retreats in other places. And was also when I started working at the temple. It was in 2016. Um, yeah, and the temple was a... <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was an experience as well. Um, <clears throat> the temple is so hard to put into words, isn't it? It's just like, what is that place? <laughs> Sometimes I'll just be in that maloka, sitting there, just asking myself, <laughs> how did I end up here? Like, who created this place? It's just... Um, yeah, so the temple was amazing because even though I had an experience with ayahuasca for, I don't know, 20 years almost, in the, the Santo Daime tradition, when I started working at the temple and sitting with the Shipibo for the first time, I hadn't had an experience with Shipibo before, it was, for me, like getting to know the medicine all over again was completely, everything for me was very different, like the setting, um, the even the medicine in itself, like the way it's cooked, the way it works on you, the places that it takes you, <laughs> me, and I'm talking from my own experience. Um, so it was... Um, yeah, it was, it was a more profound experience in relationship to ayahuasca. I think in the Santo Daime tradition, I was never afraid before going to ceremony. <laughs> it was always something um, for me in the, in the Santo Daime tradition, always like about like heart opening and being in community, dancing together, singing together was something like very, um, very opening. And in the Shipibo tradition, it was, it's, it's kind of a different energy, huh? like, because I, I see the Santo Daime has a very angelical energy. It's not so much like the, the, the Shipibo that is like the, the jungle, the roots of the, <laughs> of the, that really takes you deep into your shadows and like the plant kind of, yeah. So it was, for me, it was very, very different. And I remember my first ceremony that Diana had to hold my hand, <laughs> like for for hour for an hour maybe or I don't remember but it was like I really needed that support to actually okay that that's not what I was expecting <laughs> so it was something very very amazing and and I know that that's what I wanted to to go into the roots <laughs> into into my shadows and yeah so and also there's a lot to say about the temple like all this Crazy people that worked <laughs> crazy in a nice sense, of course. All these amazing, very exotic, different people that the temple attracts and and being able to relate to people from all over the world and um, in a... Yeah, it was just... Everyone would reflect something about me, so... It was, um, it felt very expensive to be there. And 
I remember when I started the first two months that I spent there, I didn't really like it so much, like the jungle and the insects and the cold water, <laughs> the heat. The first time was a bit overwhelming to me. But then as soon as I went back to Brazil and I digested the experience and I was like, oh, I love it, actually. I love the whole experience and I want to go back. And, and then I start going regularly and start increasing my stay. And yeah, so <laughs> maybe I'll let you <laughs> ask me something if you want. <clears throat> you, you talked about Santo Daime, and mm -hmm. I would imagine some people have heard of that. I, I would guess a lot of people haven't. Can you talk more about that? Because that's, um, I think a lot of people listening, they're, they're familiar with ayahuasca. Maybe they, they worked with it. Um, I would imagine probably most in, in like a Peruvian tradition, whether it's the Shipibo or maybe Mestizo, um, but Santo Daime is something, it, it, it's very unique and it, it's very Brazilian in mm -hmm. a way, just kind of its origins. So can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe of what you know about the history and, and mm -hmm. how that works and kind of what that, what that means in Brazil, because it, it's, it's a relatively big thing in Brazil and, um, and just what your experience of, of Santo Daime was. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, the little bit I know about the history, um, Mestre Irineu, he, he was a, um, a guy from the north of Brazil, from Acre, and he worked in the Amazon uh, with the rubber plantations. He's like a big guy of 2,000 meter, black guy, uh, very strong presence. He's dead now, but I, I, I just threw photos. Two, and, two meters, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. <laughs> 2,000 would be quite, quite two 2,000, <laughs> I said, two meters, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he was working in the Amazon, in the rubber plantations, and then he met, that's how this story, history goes, he met some indigenous people. Uh, I think from the Kashinawa tradition, I'm not sure if it was Yawanawa or Kashinawa, now I forgot. And he drank ayahuasca with the indigenous. And he had this vision that he had to take ayahuasca out of the jungle into other places, into the cities, and spread it to other people, that people were in need of that at that moment. So he had this calling and this visioning, and then he went back to Rio Branco, to Acre, and then he started a church. So Santo Daime is in a church setting. And that was, I think, in the 60s. I don't remember the year exactly, but it was in the 60s. And, and then he's, yeah, he started this Santo Daime tradition. Was he, was he Christian or? Yeah, he was Christian, yeah. And did he also practice, <clears throat> I mean, he, was, uh, he had like African roots. Was, do you know if that was also part of his kind of worldview? Was this kind of? spiritism as, as they often talk about in Brazil? I'm not really sure, but that's that's what he brought to the Santo Daime. I'm not really sure about his background in mm -hmm. specific, but that's actually what is brought into Santo Daime is this mixture of the, the indigenous use of ayahuasca with some Christian elements. 
not the dogmas. There is no teachings like about Christ. There is no dogma in a Santo Daimi ceremony. But there are like the the Icarus, they call hymns, inos, inario, né? Inario, what they sing, what we sing during a ceremony. Usually it's a master, a maestro, who come up with a hymn, a ino, and then he teaches everybody, and then we all sing the ino of some maestros. And so in the, in the hymns, there is some reference to the Lord, to Virgin Mary, cross. So there are some elements. Um, and there is... Um, there is also the African tradition presence. So the deities, the, like a, the water deity, the Oshun. So there is also presence uh, of those elements as well of Yoruba tradition in Brazil. So it's a mixture that's that's very nice. What you said is very Brazilian because it makes a lot of the elements that we have in Brazil. Christianity is very big in Brazil and the indigenous very present as well in the African culture as well in Brazil. So it's a very beautiful, I, I love, it's a very beautiful ceremony. And there are two different kinds of ceremony. There is one that they call concentration where you just sit with the medicine, everybody sitting together in silence and just being with the medicine. But with light, it's not in the dark as in the Shi people, there is always light. And there is a second kind of ceremony, which is the bailado, where we dance and sing together. So with a maraca, everybody has like, it's kind of a mantra for the body. You keep repeating the same movements, playing the maraca and singing the different hymns. Um, and that's the bailado. Um, and usually happens twice a month, every 15 days, if you're part of a church. So, um, But after a Santo Daimi tradition, a ceremony, there is, no, there is not much sharing that happens. There is no much um, processing that happens that I, I see that was a big, uh, like a different element that I found in the temple, being able to share your experience, ha having someone to help you process. Uh, we do that in the Santo Daimi tradition with friends, like we just talk to each other and then we just share and help each other process. Uh, and that's another big element of the Santo Daimi tradition, the community. So there is lots of uh, social projects that the communities start developing. And um, so, yeah, the community element is very present also in the Santo Daimi tradition. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yeah, with the Shi people, I, I feel a lot like um, it's your own work that you're doing by yourself in the dark. And the temple has this plus of we are in community for a while, and then we have the element of being together and sharing as well. But in terms of ceremony, the Shi people is like just you by yourself there with your experience and with the Santo Daimi is a lot about, okay, we are here dancing together, creating this communal, it's like we are creating something together, the same hymns with the same movements. So there's something very um, group-like, like we are 
creating something together and vibrating that to a bigger consciousness. So that's the the objective of it's more like a lot about for the bigger picture. We don't really talk about so much my own work. It's more like what we're doing <laughs> for yeah, that's my sense anyway from my experience with the Santo Daimi. What do you think is <clears throat> is that bigger picture that, that people are, are working towards? Um Um, I think it comes a lot to, um, because we are in community, so how, how do we actually support each other in this community? And, and how can actually, uh, help change, um, consciousness in like in a community like we are creating something together here we are caring for each other we are doing some work together and how that can be so powerful to change um, consciousness um, there is a teacher Tichnahan that he says that the next Buddha won't be born in one person, be born in a community. So I think it has a lot of the idea also in a Santo Daimi. So we together are going to do something more powerful and be, be able to impact uh, more people, maybe. So, yeah. <laughs> and... <clears throat> They call it a church, right? I yeah. Mean, they they use that word. Mm-hmm. Um, from your sense, it, like most people, when they go, it, it, does it does it replace kind of a church in a way, or do you find people also like they still may go to another church and and have that practice, or or kind of that Santa Daimi becomes now like their church, their community, like that is their their religious path. It depends on the people. Like in Brazil, you see that's very common. Like you go, um, you go to a Catholic church, but you also go to a Santo Daime. That's very common. Or you go to Allan Kardec Spiritism. That's also very present. I used to do all of them <laughs> when I was in Brazil. So, um, but usually when you are from a Santo Daime church, they ask you not to go to another Santo Daime church. That's what they say. If you're from this church, you just come here. But they don't tell you not to go to a Christian church or anything like that. But just Santo Daime, they ask you to stay with that community and do your work there. Um, but it is something common in Brazil. It's like very... Um, I, I won't know the, no, the, the name in English, but... Yeah, just we mix everything. <laughs> That's one of the everything goes in Brazil. Like it's just <laughs> whatever you need at the moment, and it's available. And yeah, I remember because uh, I that that was my first exposure to, to ayahuasca. Was a, a really good friend of mine who was part of Santa Daime, but in the U.S. And uh, it was interesting, and he told me, and I, I, I'm not sure if this is true, but I, I assume it is, that um, there was Santo Daimi, 
like a member can never like tell someone to come like it has to be that person's own volition mm-hmm. so kind of there's not this like um evangelical sense of like mm-hmm. ah you know you should come this is going to be good for you it, like if someone asks a member of Santadaimi they can share and they can invite them but it has to be coming from the the, the, the person who wants to to join mm-hmm. is, is that something you, yes you found? yes mm-hmm. yes that's very very accurate they yeah they always emphasize that don't invite anyone <laughs> if people ask you you can tell them like uh, what it is, and but they have to say, oh, I want to come. Can you take me? So yes, that's that's something that is very, very strong. They never invite anyone. <laughs> so, yeah. And even during the ceremony, there is no preaching at all. There is just singing. There is nobody preaching, at least in the mm-hmm. Santo Daime tradition. There is another tradition called Union do Vegetal, which came from Santo Daime. Many different um, ways of holding ceremony came from the Santo Daime and have different names and different... Like in Brazil, you probably have over a hundred ways of holding a ceremony that came from Santo Daime, but like in different styles right now. And another big one is called União do Vegetal, and they have a lot of preaching and talking. I've never been, but I had a friend who who told me that that there is more of that. But Santo Daime is just the, the singing, the dancing, and your own experience with the medicine. How how prevalent would you say that is in Brazil? Like, like many towns would have a, a, a church, of whether, whether it's Santo Daime or some other form? Or, I mean, I, I know it's hard to kind of give an estimate, yeah. but, but how, like, do you feel like kind of more or less anywhere you go in Brazil that there would be access to that? Yeah, I would say so. At least everywhere that I've been in Brazil, there was always at least three, four churches that I could choose and and go. Yeah, it's very, very prevalent. Even though who doesn't go to Santo Daime, there is a lot of prejudice as well. It's not that it's something totally accepted by the whole population. There is prejudice against the use of ayahuasca as well. But also, it's very prevalent at the same time. I see much more than in Peru. I see that in Peru is more foreigners that come, not so much Peruvians. And in Brazil, it's 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 very prevalent, I would say. Like even when I was living in this community, it was in a very little town of 12,000 people, and there were two churches in the, the surrounding area. So it's very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Because the ceremonies are not very big. They have, I don't know, it depends on the church, but like usually 30 people... So they don't make it very big. And what what is that prejudice? It's do you think it's something coming from like more Christian roots that anything outside of this is kind of not not correct? It's it's sinning in a way, or where do you think that prejudice comes from? I think it comes from being human and something. that you don't know very well and you have an idea of maybe to like to be a drug or something that would take you out of your normal self. There is like just a misunderstanding, I guess, of just this kind of separation that we normally create as humans. Like, uh, that's my thing and what you do. Like, it's just, I think it's a, a non-knowing and... 
And with the rising of the evangelical churches in Brazil as well, they there is lots of morals around that, so that's becoming even more now. Like it's a kind of a problem in Brazil right now, because the evangelical churches are becoming bigger and bigger and more and more powerful, and they're coming into government as well. And I've been just following the news a little bit, not so much because I get a little bit depressed of what is happening in Brazil. But lots of people from very strong traditions are saying that there are lots of places are not being allowed to hold ceremonies anymore because of the evangelical in power that are making that illegal in some places and some kinds of ceremonies, especially the Afro-Brazilian with candomblé and... So they they are being very affected right now. It's something that it's happening in Brazil right now. People feeling um, that their traditions are being... Because we always had a lot of freedom in Brazil to, like, religion, to any kind of expression. So it's something very new of people feeling like, oh, I'm not safe to to do that anymore right now. So it's it's quite sad. But maybe there is something that <laughs> you have to become stronger and more powerful in their traditions to be able to to be there. To yeah. One of the interesting things is <clears throat> is again I'm I'm not a hundred percent, but it seems like in Brazil it's the Santo Daime it really kind of speaks to people of many different aspects of life. I, I mean, you have poor people, you have middle class people, you have maybe rich people kind of all coming together mm-hmm. from different walks of life and kind of finding solace or finding some form of community or communal experience within that church. Do you mm-hmm. do you find that? Yeah, yeah. That's 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 very true. That's one of the beauties of this tradition. Um, my sister, she lives in Acre, in Rio Branco, and she goes to the first church, Santo Daime Church in Brazil, that was created by Master Irineu. And I went there a few times with her when I was there doing her birth. Um, and, like, you have women of 90 years old coming to ceremony, and they have been drinking ayahuasca for 40 years and just walking for, I don't know, 15 kilometers to get to the church. Very poor people, like very, lots of dedication to the medicine, to the church, to the community. And like 90 years old, like very strong, very bright, very loving. So it was a very beautiful experience for me to just see that. And in the Santo Daime tradition, there is a hierarchy, like for older people. They're the first ones to enter and they sit in the front and everybody comes and bows to them. So there is like this beautiful thing of um, you are you are my ancestor, like kind of a, like I bow to you, like you've been here for so many years and you keep this tradition going. So that was something very touching for me as well to see that. That was just in Acre. I didn't see that in São Paulo. <laughs> that was in this first church um, of Mestre Irineu. But it is. And then you have like uh, artists that come, very rich people, famous people, uh, young people, kids. My sister, she was drinking ayahuasca, coming to ceremony when she was pregnant. And then she'll take her baby to the ceremony because you have the helpers, the people who take care of the kids. 
they have what they call hedarius. So there's like a room full of hammocks, which is very pretty, full of kids sleeping and people taking care of them. So you can still come to ceremony if you have a child. Um, and actually the kids who want to be part of the ceremony, they come and dance as well. Not for the whole night, they stay there for an hour or two. I remember my nephew, he was like seven years old and he loved going to the ceremonies and he'll be dancing with everybody, like with the older people and the kids, they're in front. And yeah, they dance for a couple of hours and then they go to the Hedari, sleep. There's someone taking care of them. The mama is there doing her work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, That's it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned <clears throat> this idea of some of these like more traditions rooted in, in um, like African roots, like Candomblé. Is that something you're familiar with or you can speak of at all? No. It's also something you have to be invited, and it never happened that I would go. <laughs> I always wanted. It's something that I want to know more of, but I have never been to a candomblé or no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I cannot really talk about that. It's something interesting because also Publio, in, in the interview we did, he was speaking about his father who is kind of in this this way or this tradition of, of, of spiritism. And I just find it interesting because I think if people haven't been to Brazil, like as you were saying, they probably don't realize like how how diverse the, the traditions are, like the, the religiosity of, mm-hmm. of just how many different ways people people think and look at things. And it seems like very ingrained in the way of life. Mm-hmm. And, um you know, d- different countries obviously have different qualities. I mean, certainly, like, you go to India, and India also feels like mm-hmm. a very, very... Yeah. It's very much a part of their way of life. But, uh, I mean, also in Brazil, it's it, it's different maybe in a way, but it, it seems like that connection to however people want to look at it, God or Jesus or spirits or these indigenous traditions... It seems like there's a very strong sense of that. Like it's very much part of people's lives. It's it's not something that people really take for granted. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it shows a lot in in a community setting, I would say. Like it's really what people create together. Like all these traditions, they are actually rooted in the community. Like um, even like... Christian traditions, Catholic, like all the social projects that they have and how they reach out to community and um, not just with um, like basics of uh, giving food and like caring for people, but also uh, we have Paulo Freire from Brazil. I don't know if you've heard this anthropologist mm-hmm. that started this beautiful uh, pedagogy of the oppressed. So there's lots of things that comes out of religion in Brazil. Like he's, he was a Christian, not Catholic, but Christian. And he developed this beautiful, he's famous all over the world, this beautiful pedagogy of, of the oppressed, which is actually, um, I don't really know much about it, but it's, um, it's a philosophy, like a, a way of educating that comes from the reality of, poor people, oppressed people, like how do we actually um, speak their language from their experience? 
because I remember when I was in school, like what we learned in school is like, okay, we had slavery and then we start to, we try to enslave the indigenous people, but they are very lazy. They didn't want to work. <laughs> so that's the thing that we learn like that's ingrained in our brain, like from the um, traditional kind of education. And then Paulo Freire brought this other kind of looking, like speaking, uh, the oppressed people actually speaking. So the history told by these people, <laughs> what actually happened. So, yes. Um, yeah. The, how would you say the, I mean, again, these terms become a bit complicated, but, but kind of the, the indigenous presence in Brazil, because even in Santo Daime, you mentioned the, the founder uh, learned about ayahuasca from, from one of these indigenous communities. How would you say, like, do you have a sense of how those communities are, are doing in Brazil? Um, because Brazil is also interesting. I mean, the majority of the population lives on the coast, um, like in a lot of countries. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have this huge expanse inland, which is mostly jungle, mm -hmm. uh, where a, a lot of the indigenous people live. Do you have a sense of, of how their communities are doing, how that that connection uh, to, to their roots, um, uh, even these connections to plant medicines, is, is that something where there's still like a, that wisdom is, is maintaining itself or it's something that's being lost or it's kind of an ebb and flow of ups and downs? And um, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I don't know if anyone really truly knows, but... It seems like many of these communities did work with ayahuasca. It seems like some maybe didn't, but uh, mm -hmm. there's some thought that maybe even like Santa Daime reintroduced ayahuasca to certain communities or it was something that was new or um, because also Brazil is so huge and you have, you know, many, many different groups of people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a big question, but just any yeah. any sense of... of um, <clears throat> because that is something... I remember working at the temple and um, there was a there was a Brazilian woman and I remember we were driving we were taking the bus from Mequitos to, to the port to Santa Clara and uh, and she was looking and she was thinking like how foreign all of this looked and I think she was from like Sao Paulo or something. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, that's strange, because I've, I've been to Brazil quite a few times, like to the Amazonian part, and it looks exactly the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for her, it was it was so foreign. She'd mm -hmm. never seen that before. And yet that was actually most of the country. Mm -hmm. um, so it, in, in many ways, and, and it's the same in Peru. I mean, I mean, if you talk about indigenous people to most people here, in, even in Cusco or for sure in Lima, like there tends to be kind of a, a bit of a disconnect of mm -hmm. like that's something else that's somewhere else and um and and brazil is such a huge country and again you know most of the people living on the coast but then there's this whole other you know expansive area that's uh that's that's actually you know filled with with other people mm -hmm. yeah there is a huge disconnect like really you not necessarily if you live, as you said, in Sao Paulo or in the southeast around the coast, not necessarily you have 
ever had any experience meeting an indigenous person or knowing that they're indigenous or actually been interested in their culture is not, at least from my experience and from my, from the people that I got involved with while living in Brazil, it's not something very common, like we don't really know what is going on. It's very, very separate, like very separate. I remember the first time that I actually had a deep contact with an indigenous was when I did my post-graduation in um, transpersonal psychology. We had a module that was taught by an indigenous person, Kakavera. And I remember when he, he started teaching for the first couple of hours, I was just crying <laughs> because I was like, my God, there was a longing for that that I didn't know. I was like, I needed to hear <laughs> you talking about my ancestry from like the people who were actually in Brazil before the foreigners, like the immigrants came. And and he was sharing about the, their cosmovision that was so elaborate and so like very similar to the chakras. They had the energy centers and he was explaining about that. And I was like, wow, I had to go all the way to India <laughs> to learn something that I could have learned here as well. Like it was very, like very sophisticated, like very interesting. So it, 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 they are struggling actually in Brazil right now. Like the indigenous people are struggling because um, the, the land that, is, that has the most resources at the moment, with the, the, the jungle is more intact. It's where the indigenous um, parks, maybe you call parks, like they have some zones that are protected for them. And they're like full of resources and very beautiful, preserved. And now people want those lands. So especially the government that we have right now. So they're struggling a lot. They're just taking their lands without any like following any rules, any protection. They don't really care about that. So there is they're struggling a lot right now uh, in terms of losing their lands and their livelihood. Um, but at the same time, I see that they are more present in Brazil now somehow. Like the, the, for the last few years that I was uh, in Brazil, I could see the, the indigenous working with the medicine. They are more present all over the place now. So you can have ceremonies in Sao Paulo, which is very popular. I think it always happened, but it wasn't very present. But right now, like the Yawanawa, they're traveling all over Brazil. So there's a lot of work happening with the medicine, not just with the churches, but with the indigenous, it's becoming more and more. I think in Brazil has always been about the churches with ayahuasca, but now I, I see that the indigenous traditions are more present more and more. So people are looking for that more right now. So in a sense, there is that happening, but also a lot of struggle with their lands and and their rights and and a lot of prejudice from yeah a lot of prejudice against the indigenous because that is ingrained in our brain <laughs> of yeah of this big sense of separation like yeah i wish there was more interest in okay let's learn from this culture and like how do they do to make like their connection to the land and how they make it so preserved and like all the medicines that we have 
because it's very common all over Brazil, you see natural medicines that you can buy in markets all over the place. And we sometimes don't associate where it's coming from. <laughs> so there's a lot of wisdom there that we, we are, I think most of us are not really aware of where it comes from. And yeah, even food and words that we have that sometimes you're not aware <laughs> that comes from the indigenous tradition. So I think there is a lack of awareness and appreciation to, to our ancestors, yeah, unfortunately, but that's the case. And how about <clears throat> like some of the African traditions like Condomble or Mbanda, like do you, do you think those are still, I mean, you're mentioning... Uh, Perhaps some of these are, there's like this discrimination that's happening in, in, in the name of evangelical Christianity. But um, do you think, in, at least in certain pockets, like those are still quite strong too? Yeah, 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 I think so. Um, I was actually reading um, an article a few days ago of a black guy that is part of an Umbanda tradition, and he was saying, that most of the maestros now are becoming white, <laughs> not so much the, the black people, the situation that came from the black people because of the struggles they're going through and the discrimination. So there is a, a movement happening right now that there is more like, that's what he said. It's not my experience, I don't know, but that's the article that I read. So, yeah, that's, that's also happening, but I can see that it's very strong. Inclu there is even um, an Umbanda mixed with Santo Daimi, so Umbandaimi, which they, they do the, the Umbanda with the drums, with the deities, uh, and also with ayahuasca, which I've never been, but I want to go. <laughs> but uh, they say that it's it's pretty amazing, like bringing the deities and... And, and the medicine together and the drums and so yeah there's always all these mixtures <laughs> happening as well so. so then when you when you came to to the Peruvian jungle and you started working with Spibo you mentioned a little bit that it was it was like a not only the format was very different but the the way the medicine was working was different can you talk a little bit more about that I mean maybe your own experiences, not necessarily the details, but like how you saw the medicine working differently. And then at your time at the temple, you know, seeing so many other people, like how, how you see that the, the way the Shipibo are, are working with the medicine, like how that differs from, from the, the Santo Daimi that you were used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I know, the way that they cook the medicine in the Santo Daimi tradition, they take away most of the bark, so there is no much purging happening, not through, like, throwing up anyway. I've, I had never purged before, like, I started purging the Shipibo tradition. So they cook the medicine in a different way, and it's much lighter, the brew as well, much, much lighter, it's not so strong. I think they boil for less time. Um, and, um, yeah, and from my own experience with Santo Daimi was always about this, it's like this opening, this, um, it was a lot of experience about compassion and connection and like 
um, yeah, this very, I, I like to say, angelical kind of energy, more like that. And then with the Shipibo, for me, I actually felt the plant. <laughs> it was more like um, going into the roots of the earth. It was like really this connection to the plant. It's not so much that angelical energy, but like really the jungle and the... Uh, and the darkness where everything is created. <laughs> so it was more um, profound in that sense, much, much more deep work, I think, with the people. Um, I think the elements that each tradition brings is very different, but like in terms of going into your unconsciousness and really seeing uh, your darkness and things that you're not much aware of. I think the Shipibo really take, like, takes you there. And with the Icaros, the very surgical quality of the Icaros that actually <laughs> start penetrating and opening. Like, um, <clears throat> Do you think that's a, a sense of just some like maybe the the circumstance like with with Santo Daime there's this church aspect there's there's family it's during the day there's a sense of community mm -hmm. I mean if everyone was going into like a really deep process like probably that wouldn't work in a way um I mean even like a like I think about a church like there there's often like you said this angelic quality or there's something very light there's mm -hmm. something about bringing people together about or at least traditionally, I mean, I guess things can change too, but there's, you know, there's a sense of joy, a sense of community, a sense of connection, a sense mm -hmm. of like connecting to each other, but also through this communal act, like connecting to something greater than ourselves mm -hmm. um, that really fed people. Like it, it kind of, uh, in many places, like it was done on Sunday, you know, like there was one day where that was the day of mm -hmm. like worship and... Mm -hmm. Like you worked all the other days of the week and that was also very important. Like that was also part of like God's work in a way. But but there was this one time and place where you came together mm -hmm. to like remember, to continue mm -hmm. to connect, to, to, to feed back, to give back. Um, whereas with the Shpipo, I mean, they, they, they have festivals too, like on Yashati where they do come together. Um, but as you said, do you have a sense of like, because that ceremony is very different in a way. Like it's at night. It's mm -hmm. as you said, you're you're sitting there on your mat by yourself. <laughs> um, there's often like there's no talking or touching or communicating. Like it's a very mm -hmm. internal process. Do you, do you have any sense of like why that that was developed that way or why that scene is being important? I think what you brought makes a lot of sense. Like it's really is not the main objective of a Santo Daime tradition of you going into your deep work, shadow work is not the intention. The intention is the group work, whatever this vibration we are creating together here. Of course, doing your own work as well, but I don't think the main objective is that, okay, go into this very deep process. No, because there is the community here and we are dancing all together and we are singing all together and you have to keep dancing and you have to keep singing. So there is this invitation to, to get into that uh, 
into that vibe, like into the group work, and we are working together here. So that's the main objective. And I think with the, the Shipibo, it's your own person. Of course, it's never our own person. We're always connected and we are always uh, impacting other people, of course. But like in terms of the ceremony, of how the setting happens, is your own personal deep work. And the, the healer sits in front of you singing at you. So it's like really personal, your own work, what they see in you and what they think for you. So it's like really go deep, <laughs> like really your own work and how that will reflect, of course, into the world and into your relationships. But in the ceremony, I see that the Shipibo, that's their objective, shadow work, like really bringing into awareness what is not aware. <laughs> because the way that we normally live our lives is oppressing most of the things, things that are traumatic or things that we cannot deal with. And having that setting that actually allows you to do the opposite because ayahuasca will actually magnify <laughs> everything that you have been suppressed. So, uh, and to do that kind of work, I think you need that setting. <laughs> you need to be on your own and having the support of the healer, bringing that personal ikaru to you in a way and... Um, yeah, because everything that has been suppressed is there. It's all there. <laughs> and, and then you have the time and the support and all the setting, the, the conditions to go there. So there is an invitation for you to go there. <laughs> and you can go because you are being supported here to do that kind of work. So, yeah. And why do you think at the time that was uh, appealing to you? Because I think, uh, especially maybe to people listening who, who haven't worked with these plants, like the way you just described it sounds kind of terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like going into the oh, shadow, seeing, seeing all these things we don't want to see, like, uh, like we're alone, it's in the dark. <laughs> it is terrible, <laughs> but it's great. <laughs> was a feeling um, again it's very interesting I normally don't look for things things come to me <laughs> I wasn't like consciously looking for that kind of work but then it came to me and then I realized yeah that's the kind of work that I need right now <laughs> to because I think becoming aware of things that are unconscious, it's probably half of the work done already. Like what I is like a gift that ayahuasca gives to you. Like it's not like a miracle; it won't change everything in you. Like it's not like that, but it's making you become aware. And for me, that's like half of the way. Okay, now I'm aware, <laughs> and now I can use my tools of yoga and meditation to start integrating that into my relationships, into my life. So it made a lot of sense because it was it was just like, oh, wow. It's just like how, and it's very embodied experience as well, like really how you feel in many different levels, like how, 
How do you feel that energetically? How do you feel that in your heart? Like all the patterns that it shows in your body, that kind of trauma that you had or that thing that was unconscious your whole life and how you feel that in your heart and what comes into like it's a really full being experience that you that you have. And and that for me, like just blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow. Because I think I have always been very mental, like that has been always my go to when I feel something that I don't want to feel or even with yoga and meditation, like what really helped me be more embodied was the medicine. Of course, all working together, I see like yoga and meditation, ayahuasca for me is like a team. <laughs> I cannot really see them separate in my life because they work together. But this becoming aware for me is, is like mind-blowing, like what would take me like years of meditation to become aware of a very deep pattern that I, it's like from childhood, ayahuasca just gives it to me. That, okay. And then how can I integrate that right now? How can I keep looking at that? So ayahuasca taught me a lot about how to feel, really to, how to feel and to stay, like really. Because most of the time, sometimes that's all you do in a ceremony. <laughs> if I can get through that, <laughs> like just being able to stay with that. And that's so empowering. It's just like, it's, it's such an empowering experience. And just discovering all the inner resources that you have that sometimes you're not aware. I just had a ceremony yesterday with Maestro Damian after, I don't know, seven months that I hadn't sat in ceremony. And what like really dropped to me was like, was one of the insights that I had. It was like recognizing what you already have. Because I was like struggling to be in the body. I thought I, I wasn't really totally in the body. And I was just, I just had that. Just recognize that you are in the body. You can be in the body. Stop thinking that it has to be deeper. It has to be in a different way. So it's just like those insights that come. And when I realized that, okay, yeah, I just need to recognize that I can be in my body. And the whole experience changed. And I was like totally relaxed and very embodied. It was just like a matter of recognizing, honoring what I already have. And that I can bring to my life, like really to this moment. <laughs> that, yes, I have this work that I can share and I have my experience that I can share. And so, yeah. <laughs> Were there things, uh, I mean, cause it's, you know, it's been, I, I guess like five years now on and off that you've been working. Are there things or are there patterns or, or things that you've seen with people coming that they're trying to work on, like reasons they're coming things that you've seen that, that medicines like ayahuasca are really working on? Um, like, what would you describe, and I know it's it's a bit difficult, but in in a sense, like, what are people coming with and, and what is the medicine working and, and how is it working, like, through through your observation in yourself, but also with, with many people you've worked with? Like, what is that process that, that you see is happening? Mm -hmm. I think we all have this original trauma of this big sense of disconnection, 
of disconnecting from who we really are, and that happens very early for most of us, um, for many reasons, for not having the, the loving holding sometimes that we needed to deal with an emotion that a child cannot deal by herself. Or, so there is a big disconnection that happens from our essence, from who I really am. And I think the medicine, like through bringing something that is difficult or something that is amazing, and then you can connect with that, like there's this sense of connection that it starts to, um, it's, it, it's always been there, like the connection is there, but we are not, uh, we, are, we cannot access that anymore because we, we are always here connected, but there is, we, we are not aware and we cannot access. So I think the medicine starts like very gently, not gently, but very compassionately <laughs> because it, it, it keeps repeating the same thing over and over again if it needs to. So there is a very compassionate um, quality of the medicine that keeps showing you and keeps taking you there as many times as you need to. Like I think really bringing you to that place of connection of really being able to feel really uh, relaxing into yourself and and, and I think as well, of course, with that disconnection, what comes? Self-hatred. So I, I see in most people that come to ayahuasca ceremony, there is a lot of non-acceptance of who I am. There is some sense of self-hatred, difficulty in loving ourselves. So I think it's that for me, what I see in myself and most people is this um, capacity to glimpse how can I love myself I can really accept myself and relax into who I am there's like this inner sense of relaxation that starts to happen like really that's it <laughs> and that's enough <laughs> so yeah that's that's my experience anyway use this word connected a few times what what do you mean by that like connected to what um, connected to my body, connected um, to what I'm feeling, uh, connected to the other, when I'm listening, when I'm speaking, um, that like in a, in a sense, but also connecting to I don't know, to this inner silence that is always there, um, that we forget because there's a lot going on, life is happening. <laughs> there's a lot outside, like most of the time we are called out, like really. And being in ceremony, sometimes just like being able to listen to the silence and really feel the deep presence, like really... And once you felt that, somehow it's there and it's just a matter of anchoring that in your body and like really inhabiting that more and more. So I think that sense of connection of, yeah, really everything, like as I said. <laughs> but yeah, this for me, like especially this inner silence <laughs> that is so... So peace when it's always there, that's the thing, it's always there. And, it, and it's not that we should be connected to that all the time, there's no should, but it's just like, 
a checking in, like just, just, just going back and how can I find that silence right now? Like, where is it? Like, really? And once we touch that, it's yours. And then it's a memory or it's a felt sense that you can go back to. And that's the work of integration. And just like going back to those places that we visit in ceremony, that we visit on the mat, the things that open. It's just like keep going back to those places, like creating different pathways of and different ways of relating to ourselves. I think that's the main thing. How can I relate to myself in different ways as well, in a more expensive way, in a more honest way? And yeah. You mentioned the, the first time that you drank ayahuasca it was very difficult. Um, if someone hasn't worked with some of these plants before, that might be like hard to wrap their head around. Like what, what was, and again, you don't have to get into like the personal details, but how would you describe that, that difficulty? Um, because again, that can be very foreign for someone. So you're Mm -hmm. sitting on a mat, you drink some liquid and then all of a sudden it's difficult. Like what, what is going on that's, that's, that can make that experience uh, challenging or difficult? Mm-hmm. I like to say one of the reasons why I, I drink ayahuasca is also to keep my ego at check. <laughs> and I think that was mainly my ego. Like, uh, okay, I've been drinking ayahuasca for 20 years and so good, I love this plant. And then I sat there and I have a totally different experience from what I have ever had um, in terms of everything, like visions and the body and the setting. So everything was very different for me from what I was used to for years. So there was a little bit of baggage there that I wasn't expecting. So I resisted <laughs> that experience because it wasn't what I was expecting. That's not what I asked <laughs> So, yeah, I think it was something that I wasn't expecting. Then I resisted. And the more I resisted, <laughs> we know, <laughs> the bigger that thing can get. And, and the fear that I had just became bigger because I couldn't really open to that. So it was, I had never felt that kind of fear in ceremony before. It was the first time when I sat, the first time with the Shipibo. Um, yeah, it was just my inability, I think, to actually to navigate the medicine that medicine (laughs) I was planning to navigate the medicine that I was used to so um, yeah I think it just it wasn't I would say an upgrade (laughs) it was just like I see PhD with people it was like I was in kindergarten and (laughs) it was kind of like not that I know anything right now, it's not that, but I think right now I am more open and able to stay with things that come. Not everything. <laughs> Some things are still very hard. And, um, but it doesn't mean bad. It just means, okay, other inner resources that I have to find here right now. So it's really, um, it's just this, just this intention, this commitment to be with whatever comes the best way that I can, 
right now that's very clear that's always my intention when I sit with the shit people just like to to be with my experience and not resist it just the surrender <laughs> that I think is one of the main keys that that we we cultivate in ceremony especially like really this ego death of like okay how can I open myself to that and to that into that just like moment by moment just really yeah where do you think is that line because often that word surrender it, it has in a way negative connotations like we're fighting a war and one side surrenders which means they they, they lost mm-hmm. they they were defeated and so I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, that's what they think of. Like, why would I want to surrender? Like, I'm, I'm giving away my will or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm losing to something. Mm-hmm. And yet it seems like, I think in a way, when one begins to do this work more and more, they do realize to some degree that maybe the only way is to surrender. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you think that that line comes in and 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 also i mean this is kind of a big question but what do you what do you think we're surrendering to mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question because there is i think um sometimes this misunderstanding that surrender is something passive i'm giving up my power i'm surrendering and I see it actually the opposite. It's a very active process. Like really, it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of presence to just open yourself to that. Like surrender in that sense of, it's not passive at all. I'm not giving up anything. I'm just open to whatever it is. It's here. So how can I really allow that and dance with that? So very active process for me. Like it takes a lot of resources, it takes a lot of courage and really concentration as the maestro says. And um, and I think what we are surrendering to, um, I don't know what comes to me right now is surrendering to the moment, just surrendering to the moment because you don't know what is going to happen the next moment and if you don't surrender you're not really allowing the next moment to come as it is <laughs> because you're somehow controlling trying to control or resist and if you surrender to that moment as it is what comes next <laughs> so there's like is this fluidity of life and um, you you were saying these three things go together really well, like plant work or ayahuasca, yoga, and meditation. How do you see those three things fitting together? Um, um, I think I, I kind of said a little bit, but... Um, I think it's a lot about this becoming aware... And then how to integrate that. Because I see that we as humans, we forget things (laughs) very easily. Even a profound experience or um, 
So to keep ourselves reminded of what is really important, what I'm working on, keep myself reminded that I'm on the path. So having like a daily practice for me of yoga and meditation is that constant reminder and that constant going back to what I'm working on and really, for example, in a ceremony, if I had um, a felt sense of, um, I don't know, really feeling empowered in my body, really relaxed in my body, just feeling that inner tension, relaxing for a moment, and I really connected to that in ceremony, for example. And then I had that felt sense and that memory. So how is that to bring that into my mat and really inhabit that, that, that place more and more? Because what they say in neuroplasticity is exactly that, like how to create new neural pathways. And we do that through walking that pathway. So the more I walk that pathway that the medicine showed me, for example, I keep walking that path. I go back to that sense <laughs> and then that becomes stronger. So that pathway becomes available to me. So for me, it's very important like, to, to just move my body and um, sense how um, some tension shows up and what is that related to and going back to that sense of inner relaxation. How do I bring that here? So it all comes together in a way. And... <clears throat> But mainly keeps me reminded, I think, that really I, I try not to forget. And like how, and now how to bring that in a relationship or in a conversation. So I'm constantly <laughs> being reminded of that, like really. So yeah, I think if I didn't really have a daily practice, I would be more forgetful. <laughs> so that would be the main thing for me, like really. How would you how would you describe yoga? Because it I, I think it's something that means like a lot of different things for for different people. So for you, what how would you how would you define or how would you describe yoga? Mm -hmm. I see that like all these traditions, these very ancient traditions of medicine, yoga, meditation, uh, they all all take you to a place that you can actually contemplate and observe your real nature. <laughs> who we really are. Um, so I really see like in that place, okay, if, if I move in my body, listening to my breath, that takes me to who I am, like to really, to that essence of being human, having a body, breathing, <laughs> and not be so much into what I think I am, but actually what I am. So I think there is a place of contemplation of this like nature and and remembering that I'm nature, <laughs> like the trees and the rivers. So there is like this sense of not much separation, like really realizing that just as nature is constant change, blue sky, rain, cold, heat, sun, me too, like sad, open, a little bit afraid, like insecure, happy, joyful. <laughs> so things come and go all the time and that's our nature. And, and I think 
when you are with yourself in your mat or sitting in meditation, you can contemplate these things coming and going and moving and what they bring and and how you can choose to get lost into these stories or how you can choose to keep connected to that. So I think it's this place of contemplation and really understanding um, what it actually means, constant change and impermanence. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's a, it's a learning around that, <laughs> especially. And how, how does that look like? Um, because you, you are a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. I think when most people think about yoga, they think about going to a gym, mm-hmm. they have their yoga mat, they do one hour of these poses, they sweat, they lay down at the end, and then they leave and they feel really good. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense is most people probably don't think about contemplating change mm-hmm. and <laughs> cycles of nature and the mind. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, maybe some people experience on the yoga mat like these these doubts that come in, like I can't do this. This mm-hmm. is too much. It's too hot. Like everyone else is better than me. I'm better than everyone else. Um, but how how do you how do you begin to kind of embody or teach those principles that you were speaking of in a, in a daily practice? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like to think that doesn't really matter the reason why you start doing yoga. It could be to have a, like stronger legs, to have, I don't know, firmer arms. It doesn't really matter the reason why you start I see that like because you're getting in touch with such an ancient tradition, with so much wisdom, at some point <laughs> there will be a turning there. And in practical terms, I see as really going back to the body because you can do a practice totally in your mind. You can move from your mind and like really what you think you know how to do and you're very good at that and you can be thinking what you're going to eat for lunch. So that can be... And it happens to me sometimes, like that I'm practicing, but I'm not really there. So I think for a practice to go deeper and to take to that place, it's really been connected to the body. The body will take you into a journey of, okay, that sensation that's very unpleasant. Is it possible to soften around that sensation that is unpleasant? How am I relating to that sensation? It's a very like relational kind of meditation like how am I relating to a pose that I cannot do like what comes into mind like how do my body responds to that so um, yeah and when it feels good how is it to just stop and actually allow myself to feel like my hips opening like really embodying and really inhabiting that good sensation as well because I see that it's not just that we cannot stay with unpleasant sensations, even pleasant sensations, sometimes we cannot stay. We don't really know sometimes how to stay with that because there's a next thing I have to do. <laughs> like there's something else that I have to be doing. So really, like how you're relating to experience, like really how can you open, how can you stay, how can you recognize, how can you soften, so... I don't know if that answers your question, but... Mm-hmm. 
I know you've you've been teaching more online now, just mm-hmm. I think because of the the circumstances of the world we're in. Yeah. <laughs> how how has that been, and how has that changed? Because it, um, I would think that's you know it's obviously a different process from physically being in proximity to people, being in a group class, being able to touch people, adjust people, communicate in person towards all of a sudden kind of this virtual world. Do you do you see it's more or less the same thing or it's it's uh, it's made you think about things in a different way or teach in a different way? Um, right now I'm teaching yoga online, meditation, and I'm also doing therapy sessions. I see that the therapy and the meditation works like I don't see much difference. I feel the connection with people we share. There's like really this feel that is created. I really feel very good. Of course, there's the tiredness of being in front of a computer a lot of the time. But in terms of teaching and feeling the connection, people getting the teachings, I don't really see much difference in that sense like even the group feels very connected we exchange messages on, so there is like a sense of and I see that if it wasn't online many people wouldn't be able to be doing that anyway so there's a lot of advantages and I also notice that people sometimes feel less vulnerable being in their own space in front of a computer instead of being in a class and comparing yourself so there are lots of advantages, of course, some disadvantages as well. But with, with yoga, I'm still struggling a little bit. <laughs> I'm still finding my, my way of how to teach that online. The feedback that I get is people are enjoying a lot. They're grateful that they, they're home. They're doing their practice. They feel safe there. It's very convenient. But I'm Brazilian. I'm very, like, touchy. <laughs> and I love adjustments, like... I do a lot of adjustments in class because I like that sometimes a little touch that takes the person a little bit deeper into their body. So I have to confess that I'm struggling with that, not having the the physical contact and be able to adjust people sometimes. Um, but apart from that, <laughs> um, we can still convey the teachings. And I actually have a student, she's my cousin, and she's blind. She became blind a few years ago. She hasn't been blind since she was born. And she's doing my yoga classes and she says, oh my God, you, you teach like for, for blind people because you're so detailed in the instructions that I can do everything. So there is that, like if the instructions are okay, you give like the alignment, the basic alignment, people can really get there. And maybe it's like an egoistic thing of mine that wants to be teaching people. <laughs> But people are, like, the feedback that I get is, like, really, really positive. Of, but I'm still finding my way of... Um, I still feel that I have to go deeper somehow in the yoga thing. Like, how can I... So it's something that I'm still watching. Of, yeah, maybe what I need to change. And, but it's, it's, it's happening and, <laughs> and it's good. This idea of uh, integration, you were saying you do integrative work. You also mentioned um, when you when you first came to the the temple, <clears throat> kind of this idea of sharing, of of processing, of, of sharing amongst the other people in the ceremony, um, whether it's through a facilitator or someone who can maybe help to guide what's been happening. 
Why do you think that's, um, cause you mentioned that that was really important. Why do you think that's so important that that idea of processing or integration or reflecting our experience back to someone else rather than just, okay, that's my, my experience. It's for me. It's with me. It's mm-hmm. begins and ends with me. And that's mm-hmm. that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Yeah, I see if we compare like traditional communities with Western society, like usually traditional communities, they have their healing and their processes within their community. So they're there in their community. They're all witness to each other and it happens there usually. With Westerners, usually they come, like they get out of their their environment. They come to a different place, sometimes very foreign come to that place, have their experience, and then they go back to their communities. Sometimes people cannot really relate to their experience. It's very hard for them to speak the same language and to really share and be understood and be supported. So going to these very deep processes, like away from your community and having a community right there where you can actually share and really ref- like being witness. I think the element of being witness in your process is like fundamental. We could never do that alone, I think, for me anyway. I'm, I see that we need the element of being witnessed. And, and also that sense of, oh my God, I'm not alone. Like what someone brings about. Because I think what happens a lot in ceremony that we think that Oh, is it normal? Should that happen? <laughs> Am I normal? Like, what, what is happening here? And when we share, we see, yes, everything is possible. <laughs> like, what you're going through, I'm also going through. Like, or if you think you're a jealous person, I also share about my jealousy. So, okay, that's a human thing. So it's just like... We come to this common ground of being humans because sometimes we, we have this sense of separation. It's just me. I'm crazy alone. I'm this, just me. And like being reflected back by other people. No, we are all in this together. Maybe it shows up in a different way for you, but <laughs> we all go through the same emotions as humans and same insecurities, whatever it is. So I, I, I think that's fundamental, like really... And like, for example, in the temple, that the people that actually have the experience together, they become so connected. Like, I'm part of groups that are still connected, like five years later, offering support to each other. So that's, yeah, that's something essential, I think, in the integration process of having that support of someone that went through the same experience as you and, and being able to, to share and be understood. Are there things you've seen that are that are beneficial in that integrative process? Because it, it's something that that is being talked more and more about is like an idea of integration, and I think as as this work becomes more expansive, which it seems to continue to do, and is, is only going to continue to do more of that. Um, this idea, of, as you said, often people, I mean, in general, we have to leave our home. <clears throat> to some degree, even if it's just going down the street to do a ceremony, but in general, usually much further, uh, having this kind of often very large experience, often something transformational, life-transforming, uh, 
personally transforming. So this really big experience. And then, as you said, going back to that place, which again is potentially removed from that, that community, that setting. So are there things you've seen that, uh, I mean, obviously you were talking about yoga meditation, are there, are there things that you've seen that are, that are beneficial that, that you've seen that people have been able to, to use or to utilize that have, that have helped them to, to integrate that, that experience? I think having um, a therapist as well, someone to help you like in a very one-to-one level can help a lot to, yeah, because some some things we take a long time to process, isn't it? Like we know, like maybe a ceremony you're going to process a few months later or you're going to integrate a few years later. So having someone that maybe have been doing the work, maybe a little bit longer than you, that has a little bit more tools to help you navigate that, I think it's it can make a huge difference. And and I think many other things that takes you to a place of connection. Like I'm doing singing lessons for me has been amazing. Like just to integrate my voice, like not necessarily like in a technical way, but like where my voice is coming from in my body, really finding the voice from a deeper place, which is something that comes up in ceremony sometimes when we are allowed to sing. But like when I'm not in ceremony, for me, it's really hard to connect to that. So like having lessons around that with a teacher that can actually take me to that place of um, a deeper place where the voice is coming, like not just like the technical things, but... Um, and I think art, um, like how to express yourself in different ways, um, journaling, and just living your life in presence, like cooking, anything can be an opportunity to to integrate in an embodied sense, or like looking for embodiment, like in your life in general, like how everything can be ritualized in a way like how can I cook with presence like just really bringing that sense or the intention of being there while I'm there <laughs> that's a, a beautiful way of integrating whatever comes instead of trying to understand here or trying to figure things out going back to the body and using every activity that you do to be connected to the body and and community again, like <laughs> community, community, community for me, it's a big thing. How would you define that community? Um, um, <clears throat> I think it's being with people that allow yourself to be who you are in that moment, <laughs> that you have total permission and safety to be vulnerable, to ask for help, to share your beautiful moments and uh, being able to be joyful for each other's successes. And um, yeah, I think it's just that being held like really and be listened to that's very important I think um, I think we lack that a lot really being 
listen to truly with presence. And that can be so healing, like really being feeling the presence of someone there for you. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's just like a refuge for me, really. The sense of okay, I can refuge into like in into this friend right now because I need <laughs> I need to be reminded, I need to be listened to, I need to be reflected back. Um, yeah, I think in that sense. And what comes from that, like what we can create together from that place of truth and honesty and yeah, like I remember with Publi when we like we were stuck in the temple for three months and we were like spending a lot of time together and then we left the temple and we were like together, just the two of us for another couple of months. 24 hours together <laughs> so we start getting into some conflict which is like natural and like just being able to see it and say okay so what is going on like how can we find connection here right now <laughs> what is going on for you what is going on for me so like just that space because it's all, always about us it's never about the others so just having someone that allow you to see what is going on inside of you without being reactive. So it can like open a world, like really deepening, not just the relationship with the other person, but with yourself, because that person helped you <laughs> to go there. Because I see most of our wounds are created in relationship. So we can only heal them in relationship. So I think that's, yeah, essential there. <laughs> Do you have a sense of um, where all of this is moving towards? Uh, I mean, like you were saying, in Brazil, where you came from, there was almost no yoga, and you had to go outside to find it. Um, and, you know, also now it seems like there's kind of yoga everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm sure when you said 20 years, I think, you, you drank ayahuasca for the first time. I mean, maybe a little bit different in Brazil, but for most of the world, 20 mm -hmm. years ago, probably mm -hmm. 999, well, probably 99,000 people out of 100,000 people had never mm -hmm. heard of ayahuasca. And now it's something that's seemingly much more common. Um, it, it's, it's penetrated more of mainstream culture, maybe not to a huge degree, but it's definitely much more prevalent. Um, and so it seems like there's this expansion of, of, of things like yoga, even meditation, uh, that maybe took off a little bit earlier. Um, but it seems like certainly all of those things are growing. Do you, do you think there's, that's something that's going to continue to happen? It's just something that like humanity needs and you use this word remembering, like almost there's a sense of like we're remembering that these things are really important, like these these practices, these rituals, these ceremonies, uh, community, this shadow work, all of these things you mentioned that it's maybe something that for a lot of culture societies we've we've kind of forgotten about and now it's this process of remembering and do you have any sense of like where that's moving towards <laughs> in my humble <laughs> opinion um 
So in relation to these traditional traditional communities that hold this wisdom, I see mostly as very positive. Of course, there are things happening as well that um, might, might be not so positive, but just like looking at the positive side that I think is the main thing happening right now, in my opinion, is like a revival of these cultures that is happening there is um, interest from all over the world into this wisdom. So, okay, so we have to keep it going. There is interest because if there is no interest and then this new generation just wants to do something else, work with computers, goes to the, go to the sea, do whatever, like it's, it's more like in the mainstream. But if there is interest into this wisdom, into this culture, it will keep flourishing because <laughs> we'll be like... Um, um, there's just like this exchange happening. <laughs> so people are getting things from, like the traditional communities are getting things from uh, the Westerners, whatever, whoever is coming towards them, and the Westerners are also getting things from these traditional communities. There's an exchange happening. And I also think we just need to be very aware of that as well, like... Um, what we are taking, how we are taking that, like what we are giving back. So there is this sense that in the temple, I think it's quite present. Like Matthew, he always brings that, the Akinananti idea of like, um, of this reciprocity of giving and taking. So I think that's something beautiful that is happening in Peru, I see, with the people in Brazil as well, with the traditional communities that are getting stronger in that sense of their culture and their medicine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and... I think I just wish that we can open more and more to that because um, it's medicine and it has so much to teach and so much to heal in us and and I think there is a reason why it's here now <laughs> and it's becoming more popular. It's because it's needed and if we yeah just make the best use of that in a very conscious way and and the main thing how to bring that into your life like really where the integration idea comes back and always like how can i <laughs> really make that alive into my life really into my relationships whatever i learn so that's a way of giving back as well it's not just my ceremony, the beautiful experience I had, what I learned there, but how much I, what parts of my life I'm actually open to being impacted. Like, it's just the ceremonial part, <laughs> or is my relationship part, my social responsibility part. So how much of me am I allowing to be impacted by this work and how much am I giving back? So there's just like this cycle. And I think we are we are ready for that. <laughs> I think we are. What do you think is that that balance between tradition and change? Um, I mean, even like something like yoga, it's it's very rooted in a long tradition, and yet it's changed a lot, especially over the last probably decade or two. 
Um, the ayahuasca work, it's rooted in tradition, and yet it's also changed and is changing a lot. Um, even something like Santo Daime, like it's, uh, it's rooted in these traditions, and yet something new was created out of that. So do you have a sense of, of like that dance between honoring tradition, uh, like seeing the value, the beauty, and yet also that aspect of change. I mean, I mean, I could be wrong, but it, it, it's almost even like Santo Daime just seems like a really interesting metaphor for that. It, like taking these three traditions, Christianity, spiritism, indigenous medicine use and creating something new, which also, that's why I said it's very Brazilian because it, it feels like Brazil is in a way that too, mm. you know, it's kind of this mix of all of these things and then creating something new from that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> way of putting it. Yeah, I think that's totally natural. I think there is no other way. <laughs> I think that's always going to happen. Like there's always going to be people that are very traditional and want to keep the tradition the way it is, don't change anything, that's the way it's done. And then there will be people that will come, okay, I love this tradition, but I want to bring some other elements and change a little bit. So I think that's a very natural process, and I think that's a very healthy tension between (laughs) very traditional, pure, and the change that comes from that. I think there is a a healthy tension there in a way of revisiting things as well, like really bringing different language sometimes even. Like yoga, I see, like, if I read a very old text, sometimes for me it's like so hard to understand, (laughs) so dry. But then someone from my generation that wasn't a monk or a nun rewrote that text brought a different language, and for me, it makes total sense. It's still the tradition, but there are other elements there. There is a little bit more um, openness that makes more sense to me. I even like to say, like, when I, I studied in India first, and then I went to California, and then when I went to California, things made much more sense to me, <laughs> because in a way... Um, especially because I had the contact with the tradition as it is more like uh, more tradition. So it was nice to come from that place and, and have things translated from a reality that is more similar to my reality. So yeah, I have a teacher that he says that every text should be rewritten every 30 years <laughs> because that keeps us inspired, interested and... So I see it as something healthy. Of course, there's always <laughs> um, th- sometimes things that happen in a way that don't honor tradition or in a way that is irresponsible. There's also that side that also happens. So I think it, it's up to us really to to choose and to see, to get to know the person who is working with you, like where you're coming from, what is your idea of the world, how you treat your neighbors, <laughs> things like that, like how you live your life, <laughs> to see what you're really offering here. 
but I see it as uh, something very natural and yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, beautiful, Juliana. We're we're over two hours now. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I had so much to say. <laughs> Is, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, any topics we didn't address? Or? No, I feel very complete. <laughs> and I just want to say thank you. And I think you're doing beautiful work, like creating that space for people to share. And I really appreciate your work, Jay. And I love you. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's great and an honor to work with you. And yeah, you are one of my my main teachers. <laughs> yeah, thank you. In the temple, yeah, and with your strong presence and your medicine of tobacco, like yeah, it has taught me a lot, not just in ceremony but in life as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, sometimes I like to joke. Uh, I think you once told me, and and I joke that. Only in this setting would that be a compliment that you said every time you see me in ceremony, you want to puke. <laughs> <laughs> That's your power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, Juliana. It's been a pleasure. It's been beautiful getting to know you and, and even just today hearing your story a bit more. It's, it's, for me, it's always beautiful to, to really kind of get to, to learn more about people. And it's been a pleasure working with you these years. And, uh, you know, I've, I've really seen a, a huge transformation in you. I think like all of us, it's mm-hmm. a continuous process of growth. But uh yeah, I really think you've you found your like your your own power and your own strength and beauty, and it's uh, it's beautiful to witness that. So uh, I wish you all the best. And if if um, anyone listening, if they're interested in in reaching out to you or working with you, maybe you can describe. Uh, you said you're you're teaching these things, but um, maybe a little bit more about that, and then how they could contact you. Yeah. Um, so I have a website. Can I share? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's www.julianabizari.com and there you can have some information about my background as well and the work I'm doing but it's, uh, basically I'm offering online um, yoga sessions, mindfulness, meditation sessions as well and also uh, plant medicine integration sessions um, and I'm also going to start a course. I'm collaborating with a friend. We're going to do mindfulness and voice <laughs> together, which is going to be very interesting. So, yeah, it's just um, I'm very happy to work with people and share like all these things that are very alive in me, like really whatever I cultivate and whatever I am learning I'm very happy to be witnessing someone, help them navigate and process and bring you different tools. And so, yeah, that's the kind of work I'm, I'm doing right now. <laughs> Great. And it, you, you work privately and you also have uh, group classes or it's, it's one-on-one? Yeah. Um, I in English because I, I teach in Brazil as well in Portuguese. So in English right now I'm doing mainly one-to-one sessions, and I'm gonna start this mindfulness and voice, which is in English with this this friend Maria. And I want to start a mindfulness course in English as well very soon. So, yeah. Great. And if someone speaks Portuguese, they can jump in the the group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
if they don't speak Portuguese, can they still jump in? <laughs> yes, I can translate. You can do like two language class. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Juliana. This was a Thank pleasure. You. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, I hope people really get a lot out of this, and I, I hope some people reach out to you too because I think you have a beautiful presence, and uh, I think people would get a lot out of it. So. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. All right, everybody. That is it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Juliana. It was really a pleasure for me to be able to reconnect with her, uh, to sit down and pick her brain a little bit and hear her story and uh, and have her share in some of her wisdom. So I hope you all enjoyed that. As always, if you're able to support this show, Patreon is a really good option. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up and subscribe. And uh, you get added things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. So that's a really big support to me to continue to bring on these guests and uh, and continue to do this podcast. To all the people who have done that, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. Um, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Um, there's the option to direct donate via PayPal. Also, there'll be a link in the show notes. And then if you're not be able, <coughs> able to do that... Um, Sorry, I have a little mambi in my mouth. Um, simply going on the YouTube page, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the video. That's a really big help with the algorithms, uh, which no one seems exactly to know uh, or understand how those work. Uh, but definitely the more likes, the more uh, subscriptions, the more views, it does help in getting those out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version, uh, Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. Uh, so thank you all very much for doing that. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I believe the next couple episodes, uh, I'm going to have my friend Diana on. Um, she's another lady I worked with, and also my friend Scott, who is another guy I worked with. I think those are going to be the next two guests. So thank you guys again, um, and I will see you all on the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.